Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. Again, I want to honor all of the mothers in here this morning. Y'all all look so beautiful. Every one of you. And if I didn't hug you, I'm sorry. Here's my air hug right now to every one of you moms right here and to the first time mommies that are in this place I'm thinking of one right now that I know and happy Mother's Day Jessica I gotta say that it's her first Mother's Day and there might be some others happy Mother's Day to you first moms she got triple blessed she's a mom of three just in one year she's so blessed and we call those boys our golden children because they are so good (laughs) but praise God So I want to talk to you a little bit. Actually, I'm going to talk to moms this morning. And it's kind of a different message. uh, But I want you to just just listen to me me and just take it all in. And also, I want to start by saying um, uh, thank you to Miss Patsy again. I know Caleb said it. But thank you, Miss Patsy, for making it such a wonderful Mother's Banquet. Wow, this place was gorgeous. And we had our little hats on and some people even had little gloves on and we were drinking our tea and all of that it was just a good time together and um, so thank you again Miss Patsy you were awesome and your team everyone that helped you all of you ladies y'all wrecked it and I said that this morning some people were like whoa and I'm like that that means she did good okay she wrecked it that's a new term we gotta keep up with this generation she did really awesome Uh, so I remember the first time that um, when I first became a mom and uh, Haley, I stayed one night only in the hospital with her. And I remember the feeling that my husband and I had the moment that we were wheeled out of the hospital and we had to put this baby in her car seat into the car. And I'll never forget that feeling of looking back and seeing her. And we looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, we are responsible for this baby. Like we have to go home with it. Because, you know, at the hospital, they take care of it. They'll bring it to you. But then they take, if you need a break, yeah, go ahead and take her to the nursery. Let me sleep a little bit. You know, you can do all that. You can't do that. You know, it's like, oh, we're going home with her. We're responsible for this little precious baby soul. I was scared to death we were going to forget about her. Like in the car or where, like, we just, you're used to just, you know, not having a baby. Anyways, then I remember when I had Caleb, because we have four, two boys and two girls. And uh, when I had Caleb, he was my second born. And I remember thinking after that, after a little time, I thought, you know what? I can do this mommy thing. I can have as many kids as I want. I can balance two. When you, when you can balance two, you feel like you can balance 15, right? You, do your moms with more than two know what I'm talking about? You, you think that way. That, I remember thinking that way. But it's amazing how naturally us moms are just nurturers and that's just a God instilled thing in us that we're just naturally providers, protectors, and nurturers. And a mother and a child have this very special, strong connection and it's a God-given connection. God's placed that inside of us. And my children, especially one of them, and you might have a child like this and I'm not going to say who she is. So that limits it to two. I have one child that's always, she's just got to be affirmed that she is the favorite child. She's always like, I know I'm the favorite, I know. And, I and I'm like, I don't have a favorite. You can't, you don't understand. She won't understand until she's a mother. You can't have a favorite. How many moms 
Amen. Is that it? Is that true? That's that's you. It's impossible. I don't care how wild or crazy or bad or rambunctious you know one is, and the other one's just the perfect golden child. You just can't have favorites. It's just not possible. But moms, the love cannot be divided. It's just it's it's amazing. But you love them in different ways because they're so different. But anyway, so she's always hounding me about that. But a grandma now she can have favorites. That's okay. Grandmas always have favorites because I was one of my grandma's favorites. So I know that for a fact. And so that's okay. But I really want to speak, like I said, to the mothers on a serious note this morning about this awesome responsibility, sometimes messy, responsibility that we have, not only to care for their needs, but to teach our children in the ways of God. And so I, uh, God entitled this message for me, A Force reckoned with. And that's not a typical Mother's Day, sweet little happy Mother's Day, you are lovely kind of message. It's a force to be reckoned with because I'm passionate. I'm passionate about relaying to moms the importance of instilling in their children, praying for their children, raising them up in the fear of the Lord. I'm passionate about it because I want to see this generation go on. I want legacies to be born because we're losing sight in this nation. We're losing sight. You know, they've taken God out of the schools already. Prayer out of schools, even though we pray at, our, at my school. Don't tell anyone, but I'm telling you, I work with the power. I work in my little area. They're all Christians, and we are so open about it. We love it. We pray for our students. We don't care what the school system. I'm sorry. I don't want to get in trouble. But we do, and I'm thankful for that that I'm surrounded by godly women. I'm with two other worship leaders and another pastor's wife. In my little building, there's seven of us. And so it was just amazing how God put me there. And so I wanna talk to you about a force to be reckoned with. And um, if you've got your Bibles ready, we're gonna have it on the screen. If not, uh, you can turn to Psalms 127. And I'm going to start with verse 3 through 5. And most of you know this scripture. And I'm going to read two translations of it because I, I like the second one really good. So the first one says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man that goes for a woman too, whose quiver is full of them. And another translation says, don't you see that children are God's very best gift? The, the fruit of the womb, his generous, and I want you to catch these words, his generous legacy, like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers that are full of them. And I didn't know a lot about the bow and the arrow, but I borrowed this from Aunt Denise because Uncle John, this is her grandkid's arrow, but he, he does bow hunting and all that. So if you know bow hunting and I'm wrong, just act like I'm, I'm right. But I'm going to say a little something because I'm just, I, I, God gave me this message and I had to research it. But I found something really interesting when it talks about us moms in 127 as being the warriors and it talks about our children being the arrows. So I want to explain uh, the parts first of all, of an arrow. And the arrow, first of all, on this end here, this that you see, the feathers, they used to make what feathers, they're plastic now, most of the time, is called the fletching. And this part of the arrow that you see right here from, from the fletching to the arrowhead is called the shaft. 
And then, the, of course, the very end of the arrow, they used to make those out of rocks and stones. Well, this one's made out of metal. Um, is called, of course, the arrowhead. And the fletchings right here that are in the back of the arrow, their job is to provide a small amount of force used to stabilize the flight of the arrow. And they're designed to keep the arrow pointed in the right direction. So I'm gonna, when I'm talking, I'm going to be referring to moms and their guidance, and their love, and their teaching of God, and their counsel to their children, I'm going to refer to that as their, the fletching, pointing our children in the right direction. And I'm going to uh, talk about this area called the shaft, and I'm going to refer that to our children. The shaft is the primary structural element of the arrow to which the other components are attached. And then we have the arrowhead, and the arrowhead is the primary functional part of the arrow, and it plays the largest role in determining its purpose. So the purpose being the plan of God for our children's lives. Did y'all get that? So here's the fletching, the shaft, our children. The arrowhead is the purpose and the plan of God for our children's lives. And so the goal of shooting an arrow is always to hit its target, right? I mean, you just don't go to the shoot at the range or out in your backyard or go hunting with the bow and arrow with the purpose of just shooting it in the air. And it, who cares where it lands? No, there's always a goal in mind. And, and there's always the end of the means. And the end of the means is hitting the target. In fact, it's hitting the bullseye oftentimes. Amen? Are y'all with me? And so you don't just go out there and do that, but you have a goal in mind for the end of that arrow to hit the target. And just like Psalms 127 refers to children as our arrows, it also refers to as moms as the warriors. And so uh, I looked up a little bit about warriors, and I found something that was so cool and interesting. Because a lot of times when we think of warriors or we look up the definition of a warrior, it means someone that is trained or experienced in warfare, right? You know, you think of someone military or someone that's trained. Or in, in the spiritual sense, we think of a, a, a mom just... Uh, always interceding in, uh, for their child. But um, I learned something really awesome, and it was from an Indian chief, and his name was Sitting Bull. And he once stated that warriors are not what you think of as warriors. The warrior is not always someone who fights. Bear with me. Sitting Bull was one of the great warriors in one of the most well-known battles fought in American soil. He must know something about warriorship because he fought in all of these battles. So he definitely wasn't opposed to, to, uh, to fighting for something that he believed in. But what Sitting Bull is saying is that fighting is not, only the, is not the only component or even the most important part of being a warrior. And he goes on to explain himself saying, the warrior for us is one who sacrifices himself for the good of others. It, it involves deep developing character. It involves a living a life of honor and integrity. His task is to take care of the defenseless, those who cannot provide for themselves, and above all, the children, the future of humanity. So there's so much more involved even in this statement when it calls moms a warrior. It's talking about so much more. President Theodore Roosevelt said this, when all is said and done, it is the mother and the mother only 
who is a better citizen when the soldier who, uh, than the soldier who fights for his country, the successful mother, the mother who does her part in rearing and training right, the boys and girls who are to be the men and women of the next generation. Legacy, remember the word legacy, is of greater use to the community if she only would realize it a more honorable as well as more important position than any man in it. The mother is the one supreme, and y'all are important men, don't get me wrong. Fathers, you're so important. The mother, this is him quoting, the mother is the one supreme asset of the national life, Theodore Roosevelt said. She is more important by far than the successful statesman, businessman, artist, or scientist, coming from one of our Christian presidents. And so the first thing that motherhood, when I think about it, uh, that we see in the Bible uh, a mom doing, and I was able to do myself, uh, is dedicate our babies to the Lord. Or baby, dedicate, if you come to the Lord later in your life, dedicate your children to the Lord. And we see this happen in Samuel. Uh, in the book of Samuel, it talks about Han Hannah and how she prayed for this child that she longed for. And Hannah was barren and wasn't able to have a baby. And I remember with my own children, with Haley first and with every one of them, I remember those baby dedications in detail. I remember what my mommy's heart felt in every one of those moments. I remembered my longing was to let God know that, God, I know you gave them to me first, so now I want to give them back to you. They're going to belong to you the rest of the days of, of their lives, Lord. I dedicate them. I give them to you. And I remember asking God to help me. Help me raise them. Teach me how to do it, Lord. And I remember how special, and that's why I love when we have baby dedications up here. I'm so moved by them because I remember what I felt as a young mom every time we dedicated one of our children. And so we see Hannah, and she wasn't able to get pregnant, and she longed for this baby, and it didn't look lovely. In fact, it looked very messy when she was praying to God for what she desired more than anything in the world. We see Hannah pouring out her heart, looking like a drunken fool, it says. Eli the priest, he in fact thought she was drunk. And it was this longing, burning desire of a future mommy, she knew, and her heart to have and to hold her own child herself. Her sacrifice was her dedication to his cause, to God's cause and purpose in life first. To be dedicated to the house of God and service of God was her goal for her child. It's a selfless love. She wasn't telling God, I want him all to myself because I need this child. But in turn, she said, but instead, he belongs to you, God, first. When you give him to me, I will give him back to you. That's the importance of baby dedications. First Samuel, I'm going to read it from the scripture so you can feel what she was feeling because it's pretty intense in the scripture. In First Samuel chapter 1, and I'm going to skip around verses so y'all don't really have to put it up there. But listen to her heart. Listen to her mommy's heart. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. And not forget your servant, but give her a son. And then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. That's a Nazarite vow. She was committing him to God. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Eli was the priest. 
So he's watching Hannah pray, and he sees her mouth moving, but he doesn't see anything coming out of her mouth because Hannah was praying from her heart. And her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, the priest, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. And she said, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is so deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. So in the course of time, we see Hannah become pregnant. And she gives birth to this son. And she names him Samuel because, it means, because I asked the Lord for him. That was the meaning of his name. And then a few verses down, at the very end of that chapter, it says that she says, I prayed for this child the Lord and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will get, be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. And she did. She fulfilled her promise. What she said to God that she was going to give. She didn't hold back. When he was weaned and he was ready to go on, uh, probably about the age of three or so, they nursed him a long time back then, or four. And she, when he was weaned, she stood him to the temple to be with Eli the priest and his other sons. And he was raised in the temple of God. And so she did her part. And God fulfilled his part first. And she did her part next. And so our, we see our baby dedications originating out of the life of Hannah and what she did. But God knew this plan before Hannah did. Jeremiah 1 and 5 confirms that. Before I formed you, and he's talking to every single one of us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalms 139 and 13 says, You made, God, all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. There's no mistakes, guys. God knew you before you were born, every single one of us. And he knows those that are longing just like Hannah for that, that baby that they long for. And God's going to grant you that. I just believe that in my heart by faith. And you just keep seeking and praying. And God is faithful. But God knew the plan, always knows the plan before we do and how it's going to work and what's going to happen. But the responsibility when the plan falls in our hands is up to us as moms. We are the warrior. We are the fletching. The fletching is, remember, our guidance, our teaching, our leading, our counseling of our children while they're still in our care. So we are responsible for teaching them to go the right way, to know the difference between right and wrong, teaching them all of those things, teaching them God's ways and God's standards and even the Ten Commandments and honoring them and having a conviction about them. I remember when I was a little girl, and I really, I wasn't raised in a godly home. And I remember I would go to a, a friend of mine's house, Stephanie Lloyd. And I remember uh, we would always go to her grandma's in the summer. And we would spend time together. And they were Catholic, but they were devout Catholic. And her grandma had the big holy Bible. And then uh, always had the, uh, she had the Ten Commandments on the wall. But they had these little flyers with the Ten Commandments that we found one day. And I remember as a little girl that 
uh, we challenged each other that day specifically that let's memorize these. We can learn these. And I didn't even know really what they were. I mean, she had to tell me, those are the Ten Commandments of God. And I'm like, oh, wow. And um, so we went over them, honor thy father and thy mother. And I don't know them in order right now, but, you know, do not lie. Do not steal. Do, and uh, do not commit adultery and honor the Lord. He is one God. And, and that day, something shifted in my heart. Even as a child, not knowing God, not even being led completely just yet by my parents. That was a little later. But I would just remember we challenged each other, and she would read it to me, and I'd be like, oh, you missed it. you got to practice some more. And then I'd go back and do it, and we'd go back and forth until that day we, we knew him all the way memorized by heart. And so every time we went back to her grandma's after that, we would do it again, and we remembered them, and we would just like shoot, shoot them out like that. But it did something in me because it was part of God's word. And that's one of the things that we need to teach our children that sometimes we step away from those things because it does something in a little child's heart that they never really forget and so they do if you if you grow a little older you remember I remember saying a little lie and maybe saying a curse word or so because like I said I wasn't raised around a godly home and I remember like oh feeling not good I felt something like this ain't right really and I remember I think I was in fifth grade I had a little bad mouth on me because I heard it at home all the time and I remember like Lord please help me not to say these words and he did (laughs) I was like, whoa, I was saying bad stuff. And he did, but I felt convicted. I felt convicted about it. And, and, and he helped me when I asked him. It took a little while. It didn't happen overnight. But it helped me, and I stopped those words. But I think it's because of the moment when I learned something about those things in the Ten Commandments. That's, you know, our resource for teaching is God's word. So be encouraged, moms, to know that God will show us how to do it. If you don't know how to do it, God will show us how to do it. Psalms 32 and 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you upon my, with my eye upon you. As moms need guidance in everyday life, we need wisdom from God as parents, as moms. And, and we've got to learn to instill this into our children. He said, if you lack wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask it of me. He says that the Holy Ghost will teach you all things. If you have a question about anything, ask God. The Holy Ghost will teach you all things. The Spirit of God will let you know. And here's one commandment given to moms, and it is a commandment. It says it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, he is one. He is uno. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, speaking to us parents. But then he says, and the reason I know it's to parents, because then it says you shall teach them diligently, not teach them just, he's saying radically, radically instill into them, to your sons, to your daughters, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This commandment is our jobs as moms. This is our job to teach our children. They can come to church and they can learn those things and it's awesome and great and fine and they will, they will receive it at church. But there's something about a child seeing a mom seek the face of God. It does something. It's something they won't ever forget. And it's something they'll grow up knowing how to do. Take that little child. I, when Haley was little, 
I remember it was just me and her. I didn't work. We had so much time together. And I remember our devotion times. I talked about it Friday night when we had tea time with Jesus and talked about a mother's dedication to her, her children and to her God. And I talked about uh, Haley, when, when I would, in the morning, would, she'd get up and I'd get up at the same time. And when I would make that devotion time with God, how I would, I would pray and, and I would just keep her there on my lap ever since she was little. And, and she was always there. You know, she got to hear that. And, and I remember the Lord would tell me how to pray for her. And God will do that. He will direct you because your children are all so different. And, and he told me how to pray for her, for her life. And, and I would keep a little bottle of anointing oil. And I would pray over her. He would have, I would anoint her voice. And I would anoint her hands. And, and I would ask God to use her in that way. And lo and behold, I had no idea the girl could sing or even play the piano. And when she gets 14 years old and steps up behind her, she's playing the piano. It's by ear. She's singing. I'm going, what? And then I remembered. The Lord reminded me, well, you anointed her. As a child, you anointed her. I didn't know how he was going to do it. And then with, with, with Caleb... God would have me pray different for him. And he, God showed me when Caleb was real little that he walks in so much favor. And let me tell you, God was right on when he showed me that. Because as he grew older, I saw God do things for this boy. It wasn't fair. Favor isn't fair, right? Well, it wasn't fair because he, things would happen for him. And, and the things that would happen for him, they had to be God. And he'd get picked for things. Or he would just, things would it was just awesome. And, but God showed me that when he was little. And so when, since God showed me that, when I would pray for him, I would grab his hands and I would say, Lord, everything that these hands touch, let them turn to gold. Let everything that these hands touch prosper. Everything that his mind, I'd lay my hands on his head and I'd say everything that is in his mind and in his heart and in his hands, let it prosper. And I have, I've seen it all of his life. And, and then I would pray over them before they'd get out of the car and, at school. And I would say, God, I plead the blood of Jesus over my children. And I pray favor with teachers, administration, staff, and students as they walk into that school. And I've done that with every one of my kids. And, and, and God honored that. God honored that. And um, one thing that us moms need to know is that we've got to understand the power of the Word of God. There's so much power in the Word of God, but we've got to understand it and grow in it ourselves before we can impart it into what... We can't impart what we don't possess. And to... Uh, impart that into our children. We first have to possess that and, and understand the power and the authority that we have in the Word of God. So if your kids seldom see you seeking God through His Word or praying or devotion, they won't catch it for themselves, moms. That's part of our job. And then a godly mother's got to learn to use God's Word, just like what I spoke about, to lead her children to Jesus. And the main way your children will grow up to love and serve God is through his word. They'll have their own experience. You don't want them living off the, 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 the skirt tells of your experience. Our goal in life is that our children would have their own personal relationship with Jesus. 
not mom's relationship, their own personal relationship with Jesus. And so another thought that I had while I was, God was in, giving me all of this was about, what about the Christian woman that doesn't, I don't want to say it the wrong way, but her husband's not a God, he doesn't want to live for God. There's a lot of women that come to church by themselves. And, and you know, that's okay. Because I was a product of that. My mom, when I was about seven or eight years old, around the time I was first learning the Ten Commandments with my friend, in fact, my mom, my dad was a real bad alcoholic, and, and my mom just all of a sudden got this hunger for God. And there was a little bitty community uh, Bible church uh, out in the fields where we used to live, and it was real small. But my mom would take, my, there were six kids in my family. My beautiful mother had six children. God bless her. And she would load us up in that long green station wagon. Y'all remember the, the station wagons? I mean, it was long. And it had the seats in the back. We, we had the seats that didn't face out the back window. We had the seats that face each other, like this in the back. So me and my little sister, because there were six of us, had to sit back there and we would fight. And we were bad in the back. She didn't even know what was going on back there. Because it was so far back, she couldn't see us. Those things, I'm, I'm so glad there's no more of those station wagons. <laughs> Thank God for Suburbans. Uh, but my point is, my mom, despite resistance from, from my dad, which I love my daddy, but despite resistance from him, she still took us kids. And it got harder and harder for her. But for one year of my little, one little year of my life, I learned about Jesus. And back then, we had the little felt boards, and I remember them putting up the story of Jesus. They put Joseph and Mary, and they put baby Jesus, and they put Mary, and they put all the shepherds. And I remember like, wow, what? Like, I never heard that before. And I remember just feeling God tugging on my heart. And I remember the peace I felt when I learned about Jesus. This, as a child, children are so innocent and sensitive to God you know, so much more than we are as we grow older. And, and I remember just my heart was pierced. And I, one year of my life, I never forgot what I learned and what I felt. And the struggle got too hard for mom at home. And, and so she stopped. She stopped taking us kids. And, but you, I'm going to tell you, my mom's responsible for me being saved today. I always thought, who was praying for me? My mom. And it wasn't her fault that she tried her best to keep going and stuff. But it was because of my mom that seed was sown in my little heart. And that's why I love with Children's Church, when these kids bring friends, you never know what those kids are going through at home. Maybe even some of our own kids are going through. But with, what those kids are going through at home that maybe have never heard about the love of God, and they come in that classroom, and they hear about Jesus, and they feel the peace that I felt, and they're like, Wow, that feels good. I like that. I like this piece. You don't know what they have to go back home to, but the little the seed is sown in their heart, and I can tell you because I'm a product of it, they'll never forget it. And so as I got older, because I remembered that, I, I started longing for it when I became a mom of my own. I, oh, I gotta, I gotta find a church. I gotta, I gotta teach. I gotta raise my children in the fear of God. I felt that, and. He instructs us to train up our children in the way they should go. And it says, even when they are old, that they will not depart. It's a promise from God.
But our children today, they face challenges now that we didn't face. And as a nation, uh, they, uh, as they've taken prayer out of schools, as, as they slowly decide, uh, deciding not to honor God in a lot of our institutions, and as our children go off to colleges and universities, and they're told that God is only a figment of their ma imagination, and all of a sudden they are found uh, being challenged in the school system, in the, edu the higher education system most of the time. Their beliefs are challenged. Uh, things they've stood for, standards that they had and held are all of a sudden challenged. And so we're responsible to instill in them with love, a backbone, and a heart for the things of God as a child. So when they face these challenges, they won't bend. They won't bend when they face those challenges. Well, they, they might bend, but I'm going to tell you, they're always going to get back on track. They're always, because listen, I studied after this, after I heard this, I, I studied the dynamics of an arrow, and they are mind-bending to me in, in and of itself. Because if an arrow is shot and it hits its target, how is it that they say that an arrow actually bends in flight? There's a saying that says straight as an arrow, and that saying's really not true. Because if you study the dynamics of an arrow, where did I put it? Oh, there it is. If you study the dynamics of an arrow, I'm going to read to you what I found out. When an arrow is released from a bow, it bends and twists its way to the target rather than keep its perfectly straight form. When the archer releases the string, it exerts a lot of pressure on the back of the stationary arrow sitting in the bow. And as the string snaps back to its resting position, it transfers kinetic energy to the shaft. Remember the shaft in the middle, the children, via the knocking point. The arrow can't react to all this energy instantaneously, and different parts gain momentum at different speeds. In essence, the back of the arrow, which is the first to receive energy from the string, moves faster than the front. Unable to leave the bow immediately, the arrow starts to absorb some of that energy by bending. That's the shaft part that bends before it gets on its way to the target. And so when an arrow is shot, the, the shaft part of it does bend. And you can't see it in flight because it's happening so fast. But the fletching and the arrowhead stay in the same position. And there's an invisible line. As the arrow is bending, there's an invisible line between this node and this node which is the fletching, the mom, the, the, and this, this node right here, the purpose of God for their lives and everything you've prayed for them and every way that you have led them and taught them and the purpose of God right here. And so even though that arrow bends, every arrow in flight has those two no nodes. And on, one near the back, I just explained all that. But listen, nodes are points on the shaft that remain in the same place while everything else bends. An invisible line between those nodes while the shaft is bending, is the straight line that points where the arrow is heading. So it's still pointing towards the target, even though the shaft is bending. In other words, the target and the purpose and the goal in life, the destiny of God for your children, the ultimate goal in all of our lives is that we will all live in eternity together. But while we're waiting for that to happen, we're called to live an abundant and blessed life here on earth. That's what the Word of God says. That's our hope, and that's our ultimate goal. So when 
so know when the shaft bends, moms. When you see your children get off course, moms. When they go off to college, moms, and they're facing some of the philosophy of this higher education. When, when they get around the wrong people of wrong influence and they start doing things maybe you taught, maybe you taught them not to do, don't worry about it. Let your heart be at peace because you did this part already. You taught them. You trained them. They know. It's instilled in them. So let them do whatever crazy things they're going to do. They're going to learn from those things. I'm going to tell you because I've met people that were raised in, in real, I'm going to say, religious homes instead of a relational home with Jesus. And when religion gets involved, it can be ugly because it can be forced. And it can be instead of the love of God. Train them in the love of God, not with a forceful hand and pointing at them. But it's got, they've got to be trained in the love of God. They've got to know that no matter whatever they do in life, you're going to love them no matter what. They'll always know where to come back to. Believe me, they will. Our hearts desire that they never stray. But let me tell you to the moms that are in here and your children are bending don't worry about it. Be at peace today. You've dedicated them to God. You, you, you gave them back to God. You've, you've done all that you were supposed to do. You trained them in the fear of the Lord. And they will hit the target one day. They will hit the target one day. And you understand this better when you lose a child or a parent. Because you, uh, you, in a you have this reassurance and this peace that you will see each other again one day. But until then, we are called for an to live that not a regular life, not a mediocre life, but a what? Abundant life in Christ. That's what his word says. And godly mothers ha can have a great influence and the most long-lasting impact on their children's life more than anybody else. Recently, we lost my mother-in-law in February, and it was kind of a fast thing for us. It's kind of not unexpected, but it just all happened a little too fast for us. But we're at peace because we know that she's with the Lord. But I want to share something that was just so awesome that I learned, actually, at her funeral. My girls, about three years ago, she lived in Houston with her daughters, so three years ago, my girls, Haley felt like she should interview her Mimi. And so she went, they went up to Houston for the weekend. I remember them telling me, but I didn't pay much attention to it. And they spent the weekend with her, and I had never seen the videos, but they dolled her up. If you knew my mother-in-law, she loved to be dolled up. She loved attention. She loved to be in front of the uh, screen, so she was all for it. And they got her all, met. Haley, Allison fixed her all up, and they put her in this pretty little chair, and they, they videoed her for well over an hour. And the girls had a list of questions for her. So at the funeral, Haley said, Mom, I got this video of Mimi. Do you think it's appropriate for us to show? We can edit it and shorten it a little bit. Is it appropriate for us to share with the family and close friends when we all come together after the funeral to eat and stuff? And I thought, yeah, I think that's, that's a good idea. I mean, I don't think it'll be too hard for us. To, I think we can, I think people would, her sisters and everyone would really enjoy that. And so they edited it and they got it ready. And it was about 20 minutes, minutes long of it. I'm telling you, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. But 
they started playing it, and some of you might have been here whenever it was playing, that were there supporting us through that time. And the one question that stood out more than any other thing she talked about, they asked about her childhood, they asked about her, their, her, her parents, they asked about their grandpa that passed away many years ago, they, they asked her all kinds of questions. But the one thing that really stood out to me was when they asked her the question, Mimi, what advice would you leave for your grandchildren? <laughs> and what she said that day, all, I don't know, 18 of her grandchildren got to hear for the first time besides two of my two girls. And she said, she sat there with her cute little face and you know how she was, real prissy, real prissy. And then she goes, she said, that my grandchildren will always put God first, that they will never leave God, and that they would keep their families in the church. That's what she said. And they all got to hear that that day. And I thought, what a legacy. What a woman. What a woman. That was her first heart's intention. And so we have this hope, like I said, and the reason I know that one day we're going to see her again is because days before she passed, she was starting to see her mom and two of her children that passed before her, and she was talking to them. And they say that happens a lot of times. And she was, we couldn't see them, but she could see them. So guys, we have a hope eternal. She passed on a legacy to her family and to her grandchildren, and we're all going to see each other again one day. It's about leaving a legacy. That's the target. That's the bullseye leave the legacy that we can all live together in eternity. She was sounding the alarm. She had a cry from her heart that moment to persuade future generations what a woman, what a mom she was. Her last day, she was talking to those children. All this stuff I just said, and I'm reading my notes. I'm sorry. But Lois and Eunice, we see the story of Lois and Eunice in 2 Timothy and the impact that they had on Timothy's life. And, and Timothy was an apprentice, and he was mentored by Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul that did all these great things. And we see Timothy uh, under his leadership, and um, we, we see the impact that Paul had on him. But even Paul knew that it didn't all begin with him. Even Paul in the scripture talks about uh, what a difference Eunice and Lois, his mother and his grandmother, the impact on his life was the most impactful thing in his life. And it says in 2 Timothy 1, 3, and 5, where Paul is writing the letter.
legacy. World history is shaped in the home through godly mothers. Charles Spurgeon says, Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. Certainly I have not the powers of speech with which to set my valuation of the choice blessing which the Lord bestowed on me in making me the son of one who prayed for me and prayed with me. How can I ever forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape from the wrath to come? How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms about my neck prayed, Oh, that my son might live before thee. The godly influence of a mother. The fletching is so valuable, moms. We are so valuable to our children and how we guide them. And as warriors, moms must train our children and our grandchildren, future generations, so that they don't lose out. And we must pass on a godly heritage or it will be lost. We're responsible that they carry on the torch and pass it on from generation to generation when we're gone. What a legacy to leave. What a legacy and a gift to leave our children to know the Lord. And sometimes children won't be on the receiving end. Sometimes we will be the ones, our parents will be on the receiving end. Because let me tell you, in the last days of my dad's life, the one that had wanted nothing to do with God, guess who it was that got to pray with him and see God fill him with the Holy Ghost before he passed away? It was me. God is faithful. Even if it's their last breath, God is faithful. And sometimes, maybe you weren't raised in church or, or loving God, but sometimes you might be the first generation. You might be the first generation to lead your family to God. And you might, your parents might be the ones on the receiving end. So praying for them is important. And I want to close with this. Something God gave me. It says, a mother's love, it's fierce, it's strong. And I want to leave you with the last thing, children. This isn't for the moms. This is for all the children, and all of us are children. It's Ephesians 6, and it says, Father... Have your mom with you today. Spend some time with her. If she lives far away, like Caleb said, give her a call. Don't make it too brief. Talk a little bit. Spend time with her. But honor her and let her know how much you love and care about her. You know, I, there's a show that I love to watch, and it's called Long Lost Family or something. 
And it's about children that were adopted out. And I love to watch it because what happens in this show is they reunite moms and dads with their children that they gave up for adoption. And every time they meet the mom, it's always the same thing. I never stopped thinking about you. I always loved you. I never forgot your birthday. I celebrated it all by myself. It's a love that is unending. I did what was best for you. That's another thing. She, they always say that I did what was best for you. And the, the children that were adopted out on, on the shows, and maybe some of you are here were adopted out, they always seem to understand that when they finally hear it from them. And I love the reconciliation of their hearts in that moment because they always say, from here on out, let's just do it. You're my daughter now. You're my mom now. And it's a beautiful show to watch. But that's a mommy's heart. I don't care if you've given your child for adoption. That's a mommy's heart. If your children aren't with you, that's a mommy's heart. It never leaves. It's, if you're a mom in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It never leaves. Amen? Amen. Please don't be crying because we're going to celebrate today, moms. And I want to do something. I want to see if all the moms can come up here. I don't want to embarrass anyone. mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria and download our app.